From Jerusalem, Israel, this is From the Midwest to the Middle East, the podcast that explores everything new in U.S. and Israeli economy. Here's your host, Philip Stein. I'm really pleased to be having this podcast today. First of all, this episode is brought to you by Philip Stein and Associates, the largest U.S. CPA firm in Israel. Providing U.S. tax services to Israelis, Americans, corporations, startups, and anyone else needing them. Today I have a guest, Maya Jacobs, who is the CEO of Tzalul, which in Hebrew means clear, which is an environmental organization with the goal of protecting Israel's seas and streams. The association was founded as a response to removing the fish farming cages that were contaminating the Gulf of Eilat and affecting the Red Sea's rare coral reef. Since then, Salul has become the leading environmental NGO in Israel, dedicated to the protection of seas and rivers. Before running Salul, Maya was the Director of Communications and Public Affairs at the International Fellowship of Christian and Jews. In addition, she has served in the past as a spokesperson and part of the close staff of Prime Minister Ehud Barak, as Chief Information Officer for the Israeli Consulate General in New York, and as Chief Representative of the Geneva Initiative in North America. Welcome, Maya. Wow, thanks. Thanks a lot for having me. My pleasure. Um, let's get right to it. Without being overdramatic, Salul seems to be trying to save our planet, or at least a small part of it. How, how did you come about to take upon this enormous task? We are actually looking at the bigger picture, the bigger international picture, because we have the, the rare opportunity to be in the right place at the, wrong, the right time or in this very uh, sad issue. It's a sad time, the wrong time. But this is the situation right now. As you said, I have many years of uh, both political and uh, nonprofit experience and focusing mostly on uh, strategic uh, communications. So basically, I'm bringing with me all my 20 years of experience to this important task. It's the most important task I've ever had. So we're, we're one of the leaders, one of the top leaders of the environmental issue in Israel and also... Uh, hope to also be able to affect in the international arena. Well, usually I thank my guests at the end of the podcast, but I'll thank you <laughs> from the beginning because, uh, you know, I can speak in my name and my children and my grandchildren. Uh, thank you uh, for taking this yeah. on. I, I, I per- must say, yes. I'm sorry, just a, I, I, have, I wasn't environmental before I, re- I joined Chilur. I've been the CEO here for seven and a half years, mm-hmm. and the more I know, And, you know, knowledge is, ignorance is a bliss. And the more I'm knowledgeable and I see so many mistakes being done by government and by the public because of ignorance, because of non-understanding and because of uh, very bad uh, decision-making, which I'm sure we'll get into further uh, soon, this this really is is a lot of uh, responsibility to try and make things better. One of my most important tasks is to make everybody knowledgeable because once we know, we demand. And uh, right now there's not enough demand because there's not enough understanding, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I, I, I agree from my, my limited knowledge. I've been reading and hearing a lot about the problem with plastics and microplastics. Can mm-hmm. you tell our listeners the extent of the problem and if, and if there are solutions that can be implemented? Yeah, well, first of all, uh, Talul is in charge of, of uh, preventing every type of pollution to the seas, rivers, and uh, water of Israel. 
and we do so for municipal uh, sewage and for industrial sewage and also for plastic. And we've become basically the leading NGO in Israel now dealing with the whole problem of plastic pollution. On the one side, uh, promoting laws. We have a law against bags, which is a very weak law here, but it's still something that was a big effort and we achieved it. And many other laws trying to put us in one line with uh, the more advanced countries in the world. And Israel is basically one of the most, maybe second after the United States, most um, addicted nation per capita to plastic, to single-use plastic mm. than any other place. We're using plastic like crazy. Yeah. We, it's, a solution, it's a combination between uh, keeping kosher and then separating uh, dairy and, and uh, meat silverware at home, which is easier just throwing it away. And we have big families here and we have big festivities, I'd say twice a year in uh, Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish uh, uh, New Year and in Passover. These are times of the year in which we have many, many people visiting each other. And, and the most easy way to, to host people is by throwing away everything at the end. It's a huge, huge problem, and it's just, being, it's just going and growing because the main forces behind the plastic, the single-use plastic pollution are the oil companies because oil companies uh, see how automobiles and vehicles are going and, and becoming more electronic and, and, uh, and leaving the polluting oils and gas. For them, in order to create new income, new fields of income, they're basically shoving single-use plastic everywhere we go. So it, it's polluting us three times, basically, and it's very, very harmful also to the environment because we have the encouragement of all the, the oil production in order to make the plastic uh, items. And then while we use it, you know, it kills hundreds of thousands of animals, marine animals and, and, uh, and shore animals every year through, along, around the world. And these are the few animals that manage to save themselves from the temperature rising and everything. So they die a horrific death from plastic. Mm, mm, mm. And, and we have uh, more and more research showing that also us, the human bodies, basically we all contain growing amounts of microplastic, which we receive by eating seafood and, receive, and eating sea salt and uh, recent research has showed that also by drinking from uh, plastic items, from bottles and cups, whatever, they actually all have like small, small micro pieces that enter our body. And they've even seen research that mothers transfer these oil-based contamination particles in their breast milk mm. to their mm. babies. So it's horrible and it it's killing horrible. us. It is horrible. And then in the last phase, because there is no real solution to the plastic disposable plastic from, uh, from oil, then basically it's shifted the majority, the mass majority of it is shifted to weaker countries and there they usually burn it, which also creates a second round, a third round of pollution to the air, to harming people and, and harming our environment and uh, it, you know, 
it's the, it's the same planet that's affected no matter where it's burnt. Yeah, the uh, there was a few months ago I saw a, um, a segment on 60 Minutes. They went to one of the most ro- uh, remote islands in the Pacific, um, and what has with accu- albatrosses? Yeah, with with what the junk that is accumulated on the shore on a daily basis was shocking. It was just shocking how much junk, just plastic junk, uh, was on this. Uh, what you would think pristine remote beach. Uh, so mm-hmm. there, there's there's no, no place on earth that is still pristine, I'm right, afraid. It's, right. it's heartbreaking. And it's just going to grow. Scientists say that by the year 2050, there's going to be, by mass, more plastic in the sea than animals. Mm-hmm. And that's a devastating fact. And yes. in Israel, we see already the international organization, the NGO, the environmental NGO, WWF, the ones known for their panda science. Right, sure. Um, they had a report in which they listed the most polluted cities and, and areas in the Mediterranean, and Tel Aviv beaches rank third after places in Egypt and in Turkey, because it's both, you know, lack of understanding on our shores, and also we are on a an, an end that receives all the pollution from North Africa, basically, with the currents of the sea. We have an extra importance of, of changing our habits because 60% of what goes into the sea, according to research, is from Israeli um, beachgoers. Wow. So oh, wow. That's a very sad. Very sad. <laughs> yes. Okay, so... Again, staying local, let me move south of the country. And I had mentioned in my mm-hmm. introduction about a lot. Most of us associate a lot with big hotels, hot weather, no VAT. Can, can you share with us how Salul helped preserve the Red Sea and the Eilat coast? Yes. Well, Salul was established 20 years ago after our chairman, uh, Mr. Benji Khan, came back to Israel after a few years abroad. And he went diving and he was devastated to see how the coral reefs there were dying. Mm. And there were uh, fish farming cages in the Eilat Bay, which basically killed the reef by uh, preventing sun and by creating contamination and pollution. And this was basically the first time in which uh, an environmental coalition, we we were established then, but we one of the things that we did was uh, create a coalition with other NGOs, and together we had a landslide victory after nine years. It was a very long battle, and we invested a lot of money and a lot of efforts into it, but we won. And uh, and now, 10 years after the last fish farming cage was taken out, there's real evidence. You have uh, We have scientists that are uh, monitoring the bay every year to see the impact of the change, uh, and there's there's more pollution that we brought down. There was phosphates from the harbor and sewage from Elad and all kinds of things, and we basically uh, led the campaigns to stop everything. And now there's real evidence that things are improving. However, today we have new challenges and new threats to these corals, And by the way, last year there was a research that was published that says that from all the corals worldwide, the specific corals in the northern Red Sea, which are in Elat, in Aqaba, which is in Jordan, along the coast of Saudi Arabia and in Egypt, are basically remarkable because they have a gene that makes them uh, resilient to climate change. Mm. Because what we see everywhere is that uh, corals are suffering a bleaching phenomenon in which they're becoming white and they're dying and and basically they are the rainforests of the oceans 
And without them, you have no life. And in the Red Sea, it's not going to happen. They have a resilience to survive even a hundred years more than others. Wow. However, they aren't resilient to pollution. And uh, right now, there are many, many plans for the de- development, first of all, in Ilat, which we're very much concerned ab- about and, and are still um, working to prevent. For instance, now they want to return the fish farming industry to Ilat. They want to do it this time onshore, but to spill all the, the water from the um, ponds, the fish ponds, into the sea, which, of course, we won't allow to happen. But also we have huge development programs along the Saudi Arabia and uh, Egyptian coast, which uh, must be managed in a very environmental, in a high standard environmental process, which I think, I'm afraid, are not, is not the, the case the way it's uh, promoted right now. They want to do a bridge that would connect between Saudi Arabia and Egypt that would be large enough for two sides of a, a road and a train uh, track. Hmm. Um, and that would basically have pillars in the most important scuba diving zones in the area. And right now, actually, there's a huge, huge ticking bomb uh, hovering over the entire area off the coast of Yemen. There's the war going on between Saudi Arabia and uh, basically Iran, which is controlling Yemen. And there's a deserted oil tanker with about 100 uh, million barrels of oil, which has been deserted since 2015 there. And it's already suffering with, uh, I don't know, it's not maintained. And, and there's huge danger for it either to blow or to leak and it could create a devastating oil leak that would be one of the most, the biggest uh, oil leaks ever, not only to affect the Red Sea and to kill all the rare corals mm, that I just mm, tell, mm. told you how important they are, but also the, all the area around Eritrea and many, many desert countries that rely on the sea for desalination. So it could be huge. And, and Salul, actually, we, we sent a letter to the Secretary General of the UN and we requested that an emergency team would be sent there and that they put all their efforts in order not only to to solve this problem, because I know that they already are trying to solve this in diplomatic ways, but also to protect and to have teams and, and equipment on the ground ready in case something happens in order to be able to answer such a, an immense pollution as fast as possible, because... You know, going around on, on it, it spreads very fastly on the waves, and it needs to have immediate uh, response. So may, I'm using the the stage that I receive here from you also yes. to call upon the UN to act and to any other environmental uh, lovers or or NGOs to join us in this effort because it's it's a matter of life and death for the most important calls and or on world. Wow. Thank you, thank you for sharing that. <laughs> let me let me move you on land, yes, uh, or inland, more exact. Can you update our listeners on the status of Israel's rivers? Well, um, we are very proud of uh, of our work along the these the rivers in Israel. Our work uh, led to a governmental investment of something around ten billion shekels to build sewage treatment facilities and to stop spilling into the rivers. However. The Water Authority in Israel is so keen on only creating desalination that it's totally ignoring and allowing pollution to all our rivers and to our groundwater. We have a big problem here with the way the entire water market 
water system is being managed, especially, especially thinking of us in an area that is turning into a desert and we must see treat each and every drop of water like it's pure gold. That is not the case. Our rivers are all polluted with various levels of uh, sewage mostly, some of them also still with industrial pollution. We've come a long way and it's a lot better than what it was in the past, but we still have a long way to come in order for us to be able to stop worrying about this and moving on to other problems like we have the offshore drilling for gas and oil, which is one of our biggest problems. All right, we'll get to that in a moment. Before okay. we get to that, I mean, we've you've talked about the water and, and the rivers and, the, and what happened in a lot and the plastic. Would you put those as our biggest environmental challenges as, or is there something even bigger that we're having to deal with? There are two bigger things. First of all, as I mentioned, the offshore drilling, which we'll, we'll go into in a second. And the other one, which is connected to that, is the whole way in which the entire development of the country in general and mostly the energy market is being developed because we are in the age of an environmental crisis. And Israel is in a very historical junction, I would say, in which everything here is going through rapid development. We have rapid growth of cities. And instead of doing, instead of renewing cities and, and, you know, investing more time into proper planning and to preserving trees and to preserving, to, to encouraging green kind of building, which preserves energy and water and shade and whatever we need in, in an area that is going to be much warmer than it already is, very hot here in the summer. And we're going to have longer months of great heat and horrific heat here. And none, nothing of that is being taken into consideration when we do this planning. There needs to be a huge shift in the way public transportation is being advanced here in order to be able to bring the periphery people back and forth to the center to make the, the, the whole country uh, smaller. Because today, I mean, Israel is the size of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. We basically are not missing every error in the book. We're making every, each and every possible error. So it takes here like hours and hours to get from one side of the country to the other. We, ha- we suffer horrific traffic jams that are just going to grow and grow because all the new neighborhoods are being built in a way that is dependent on private cars instead of on tra- public transportation. And with, to, add, uh, you know, to add to all that, we have a situation in which our environmental protection ministry is being slammed by everybody. It's like nobody understands why it's important to, to protect the environment. They disregard in totally the fact that we have growing numbers here of people that are sick with horrific, horrific sicknesses that you can prevent by maintaining a clean and, and pro- proactive environment. But we have, despite two very, very uh, strict and severe reports by the state comp- controller against the way the Ministry of Environmental Protection is failing at managing the industry, mostly in Haifa Bay, which is considered like the center of the industry in Israel, the polluting industry, and also the complete failure it has in everything that has to do with enforcement and in and preventing and, and deteriorating any kind of polluters. We want Israel to, to treat environmental polluters as it would with any other offender, if it may be murderers or thieves or whatever, they should treat the same as they do 
with environmental felons. But in Israel, we have now a situation in which the prime minister's office is leading a new law that is going to pass in the next few months, if unless we manage to stop it, which we're trying to stop it, in which basically every permit that the Ministry of Environmental Protection gives either to spills to the water, to the seas, to air, any, any kind of pollution, any kind of best available technologies that the ministry demands or time schedules in which the industry needs to stand by, they would be able to overrule. And uh, basically, they're leaving the Ministry of Environmental Protection like a, an empty shell with no force, no power. And we are very concerned that this would be a death sentence to many, many more Israelis who are already today, too many of us are being uh, affected and sick. And uh, as you know, we're going to become even more densely populated with no green areas because they're building on all the green areas with no proper planning. We don't have upstate New York to run to in order to take yes, a deep yes, breath and I, to... Yeah, with, uh, pretty, we don't have anywhere. It's a pretty good place, uh, upstate New York, uh, and, and such yeah. a con contrast to New to Manhattan. But you're right; there's no uh, contrast like that to, from Tel Aviv, unfortunately. Right. So we're all going to be my New York and Chicago, very very in the dense places of the of these cities, and we won't have anywhere to escape. I, I know that Israel has targets for uh, alternative uh, type of production of energy solar wind thermal a uh, certain percentage mm -hmm. but on the other hand and we see there's a I think there's about to open a new platform soon for for gas uh, that, that mm -hmm. Israel continues to invest in gas reserves now assuming the economics of gas continue to be good for the country will, will the gas itself be good for the environment first of all it's it's a matter of how much percentage you put you put on each and everything because the the environmental crisis is saying that by the year 2030 which is very close by everybody needs to to aim at being with as few uh emissions to the environment as possible which means we need to cut off fossil fuels which are is coal oil and gas if we have any type of advantage for us being only now entering the era of gas it's the ability to learn from the errors of others and to see how things were badly managed in places like the Gulf of Mexico, which suffered a horrific oil spill, or in uh, Alaska, or in many other places around the world. And in Israel, the Ministry of Environment is like a puppet in the hands of the American company Noble Energy and an Israeli company called Delek Nadlan, uh, Delek Kiduchim, which are the two major partners in uh, the Leviathan and Tamar oil uh, reservoirs, oil and gas reservoirs. In Israel, beyond, be, and beneath each and every gas reservoir, you have an oil reservoir, which is deeper and more difficult to reach. But now this year, they're also trying to aim at uh, bringing out oil, not only gas. When we started this campaign demanding for safe offshore drilling, saying we're not against gas, we understand that Israel needs to have gas in order to be dependent, that was in 2012. And, and back then, when nothing was still set, and we, and we wanted them to adopt the EU directive for offshore gas and oil uh, drilling, because it was created by the best professionals on the industry side and on the environmental side, both sides felt that it wasn't good enough for them 
which means, you know, it's like a win-win situation. If both sides would want more and the government feels it's okay, so that was okay. And Israel is refusing. Now, these two companies, Noble Energy and, and Delek, are obliged to work by the EU directive when they work in uh, Aphrodite Reservoir, which is in, in Cyprus, and it's obliged to the EU. I don't want to offend you as an American, but, you know, the U.S. is, is becoming, is, is failing more and more in the way it's protecting uh, the environment. And, um, and for us to be conducted in a way in which this American company is uh, basically forcing the Israeli government to go according to American regulations, which are a lot less uh, demanding than the European ones, is a huge failure because if we're doing something which is so dramatically hazardous to the environment and to the sea and to our to our economy, because you know we only have 120 and 197 kilometers, like I don't know 22 miles or so. Maybe I'm wrong with that, but it's it's not a very big uh, coastline, and all our economy is based on this. All our ports and our desalination, all our water is desalinated. This is like a huge strategic security issue for Israel. It's not just a matter of income to the market. And if we're talking about income, income, we need to take into consideration also all the costs, the potential costs that will cost us, the people, in case these two companies create um, you know, a disaster here because the way they are managed, because this is the way the government is allowing them. So the issue of the platform of Leviathan in the north, which made a lot of headlines because it's so close to the shore, is only one particle in a huge, huge uh, picture of a big failure and a lot of bad decision-making. But it does seem we, again, I'm a layman here, that at least in, for some period of time, this gas is going to be essential for our energy needs, correct? Well, I'll tell you this also, because we, you know, Israel is the eternal sunshine country. And already today, you have enough areas in which you can base our daytime energy, which is the biggest amount of energy, on sun. We, what happened now is because the Minister of Energy, uh, Yuval Steinitz, has become the biggest lobbyist for Nobel Energy and for Delic for gas and against renewable energy, which is absurd. The government has only set a, a, an ambition of 17%, 17% of renewable energy by the year 2030. Now we have less than 5%, which is absurd. Israel is a startup nation. We're so proud of ourselves. We need to be a startup nation also with renewable energy and to invest the most amounts we want and we can into this, but instead, the Minister of Environment of Energy has become the biggest lobbyist against it because he is working basically for the oil companies and for the gas companies. And today, we can already have gas to 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 serve us only during the night when we have less use, but then then we don't have sun because it's true that there still aren't perfect solutions for nighttime and for winter, but it's a smaller time. You know, it's it's a manage of it's a way of how you manage it, and it's basically it's decision making and it's policy making, and it's the way you you know what do you prefer? Do you prefer the benefit of your people or the benefit of two companies? And basically, right now there are two companies that are managing Israel. All right, let me in, in just wrapping up 
Um, there's so much to talk about here, and, and you're so passionate about the subject, um, which which I really appreciate. But uh, again, we we are aware of the news cycle, and uh, you know, one one week it's hurricanes, and and a few weeks ago, I think it's already sort of not even made the back page of newspapers, which I'm referring to mm-hmm. the fires in the Amazon. They're mm-hmm. so far away from us, yet it seemed to have woken up the West. Finally. What is the impact of these fires on the rest of the world? Well, um, it's huge. It's humongous. It's not only in the Amazon. It's uh, in Siberia. We have nonstop fires going on, and in Alaska, and in Africa, and uh, it's devastating. Basically, it's like pushing fast forward on the button of the 11 years time period that we received to stop uh, the climate crisis. And uh, it's still not certain, but just yesterday I saw a program, for instance, in Alaska saying that they uh, measured temperatures of the water and they're a lot warmer now than what they predicted it would be as warm as it is right now, only in 2056 or mm. something. And and it's horrible. And, and, you know, what's going on in the Amazon is the most I don't know, the word that comes to mind is popular and and we need to try and make it into pop culture in a horrific way because that's the way to get in, you know, into the media, first of all, and into the public attention. And suddenly we now had uh, Hollywood stars and and celebrities come on board and start talking about it. But if we uh, compare it, for instance, to the Notre Dame church in France that was on fire, and when that went on fire, then you had live broadcasts all over the world, and we don't have enough of that around. And the Amazon is, is still burning, and Siberia is still burning, and Africa is still burning, and it's going on and on right now as we speak. And it's releasing into the atmosphere more and more CO2 and more and more methane and other polluting and very dangerous gases that are right now in, in Siberia. In Alaska, they were frozen in, in the ground and in the ice. And, and once they come out into the atmosphere... It's very, very bad news for all of us. But the most important thing to remember with everything that I said, there's still a lot to be done. And and the, the reason I sound so passionate about it is because I'm working night and day in order to make people aware and, and to bring them the attention, first of all, the magnitude of the problem, but second, the magnitude of the opportunity. For instance, Israel is a, is a country of startups in many, many aspects. Now, Talul, us, our organization, has started helping uh, Israeli startups, for instance, uh, that are inventing solutions instead of plastic. We're going on biodegradable materials and bringing and promoting more solutions because the government isn't doing it. And the same with um, solar energy. We're helping them promote and become more a popular thing and, and and to bring down bureaucracy. And there's a lot of money to me, to be made in these things and a lot of opportunities. And it's true that we don't have a lot of time, but in this time that we do have, if we all join forces together, we can make a difference and we can make a change. And it's a matter of life and death. And whoever has children, you know, needs to educate themselves because it's a time of emergency. It's now. This is a time of emergency. All the red lights are going on and off. It's like a mag- Armageddon. Wow. This wow. is it. This is the wow. time. All right. I like to end, end my podcast on a positive note. Uh, <laughs> this is, you know, there's yes. been a lot of uh, <laughs> reality, I'd call it. Not negativity, but reality. 
Um, when you're not working on improving the air we breathe, the water we drink, and the ability to join nature, what, what do you do for fun? Huh. Um, well, I do a lot of yoga, and I like traveling around the country and abroad, and uh, mostly in nature. I used to be a big shopper, but once I've become more environmentally uh-huh. aware, then I don't shop okay. as much, and I like spending more time in nature and, and spending time with the people that I love watching. I do a lot. I, I go to the opera and to theater and a lot of arts and, and uh, culture and Great. spending time with the Good. people. Good. Okay. So uh, <laughs> at least in the meantime, Thank until you. we solve all these uh, world problems. Uh, I just really want to end on a positive yes, note okay. still and to be optimistic and to invite whoever is listening to us Salul is spelled Z-A-L-U-L. We are online. I'm available online. I'm on Facebook. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Join us. Uh, We need every help we can, mostly against Noble Energy. It's an American company. It has a board of directors in the United States. They are going to be responsible if we're going to have to pay millions of dollars in compensation or billions of dollars. It's still not too late to change, and it can be changed we are a small country that, you know, everybody knows each other. But also, uh, I think that even in an international way, if you contact us, we'll know how to find use with your abilities and your contacts and your goodwill. And we all need to join forces on this. And we have a lot of great ideas. We just need more people and more money and more help in order to make them happen. All right, well, uh, you uh, certainly have pleaded your case and I think you, a lot of a lot of people will uh, I think be very uh, you know inspired by what you shared with us today I hope and, so and uh, we so. wish you a happy new year Shana Tova and a, hel- a healthy year and a clean year in our environment or a cleaner year uh, at least amen, at this amen. point thank, thank you so much for this opportunity thank, thank you. I appreciate thank it you, I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Feel free to visit us at www.pstein.com or look for Philip Stein & Associates on Facebook and LinkedIn. 